You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. This month we're talking about better together. And uh, last week we touched on having small groups and really the de- zeroing in on generosity within those groups and talking about koinonia, which isn't a, work, a word that we use a lot. It's a Greek word. And, and in church circles, koinonia is usually used to describe fellowship. You don't really use that word much outside the church. And you know, every time I think of that word, I think of a Bible school teacher we had years ago that said the best way to remember what fellowship actually means is fellows in the same ship. And that way you'll remember what fellowship is. Um, but it has a lot of different translations. It's very similar to a gem that's, that's carved out and has so many facets on it. Koinonia actually has a lot of facets. It doesn't only mean fellowship. It also means community, participation, contribution, and generosity. So koinonia is definitely something that we're just focusing in on this month at Coastal, the importance of being in that kind of fellowship with other people. We talked about building community last week, and do you remember the little clip on Fox and the Hound, if you were here, and the dogs sniffing out and how we're to sniff out the needs in other people's lives, and how God gives us that ability to be able to see, uh, just like that clip that we saw, there's a need there, and he allows us to be the vessel that he uses and to, to flow through. Talk about being a vessel to flow through. Yesterday, we did a spiritual, we had a spiritual detox morning, and wow, what a great morning we had. It was amazing. And uh, I know that uh, someone that was there just mentioned to me this morning that somebody said afterwards, uh, was it when you were at the gym, that somebody said, what happened, what happened to you? And, and that's the third person yesterday, that's the third person that had said after being at Spiritual Detox that a, a stranger came up to him and said, where have you been or what happened to you? God did such an amazing work in, in our hearts yesterday morning. To him be the glory. It's, it's, it's amazing. It, just as much as we need a physical detox and fasting or you need a, uh, a physical detox and just cleansing ourselves and ridding ourselves of maybe some of the food that, that we could be in the pattern of eating, we need a spiritual detox as well. And uh, we'll do another one in the new year for those that say, hey, I missed it and I want to be a part of it. So uh, keep that in mind. It was great. Growing together. Today covering how do we grow together. And the test of our maturity is when we talk about how do we test our maturity, it's in relationships. And in our relationships, there's a, there's a verse that uh, is in your notes, Romans 15, verse 5. May God develop maturity in you so that we will all get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us. Okay, that seems like a tall order, but I love Scripture because he doesn't put anything in Scripture that's not possible. And with man, it would be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And if we tried to do this on our own strength and we tried to be mature and get along with each other, um, well, stats alone, uh, your prayer requests alone show us that that's not, that we, we deal with difficult relationships and we need prayer to continue to grow those relationships. But Jesus says it's possible. So that's what we're going to stand on. We're going to trust him on that. Uh, In May, we talked about uh, a message using the sequoia tree as an example. And there's a a picture of a sequoia tree. And this tree, uh, those trees grow so huge and so large. But something really interesting, it's not that they grow so deep as much as they grow horizontally, their roots. And by doing so, they interconnect their roots. If we have that picture of that sequoia tree, that would be great. Uh, the roots grow 
uh, horizontally. Look at that guy in there. You see, if, like, honestly, wouldn't you think the guy's photoshopped in there? Looks like he doesn't belong. Um, he's just so, t- you can't see him, right? Like he's this big. And the trees are so huge, but their roots are interconnected one with another in these groves of trees. So their strength isn't them standing alone as this, look at me, this great and mighty tree, sequoia. The the strength is being in the numbers. And so it is with us. Our strength is being in numbers. And it's that interconnecting our lives with other people. Thanks for having that up. Those trees can grow as tall as a Fortis building across the street, which is, they have one that actually they've measured over 400 feet. Um, every year, interesting stat, that a sequoia tree makes enough wood to make a 90-foot tall tree with a trunk 12 inches in diameter every year. So these things grow fast, they grow thick, and they're very interconnected. And if one falls, which one did in 2004, uh, uh, some sequoia trees fell. One of them was about 750 years old. And they said the reason why they fell, one fell, then others fell because of the interconnection in their roots, but was because they were trampled on by people and it actually destroyed the root system. And so using that as an example for today and the importance of our own relationships being interconnected, we want to guard our own roots and guard our own heart with all diligence. So those trees are mature. And then like we said in Romans chapter 15, verse 5, God wants to develop maturity in us. And uh, it's not based on our content of knowledge. That's not what he's talking about. I'm mature. I'm more mature because I've learned more, because I've gone to school more, because I've done this more. It's not that. It's, it's based on our people relationship, on our skills to be in a relationship. Uh, Rick Warren says that if you have a hard time getting along with other people, it says one thing, guess what? You're immature. Wow. Ouch. That, that could hurt. But really, everything that we do is so interconnected. We were meant to be in connection, in community with others. Because that's what spirit we're of. When you look at the Father God and Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit, the relationship, the three being one, and the, the strength of relationship, that's what spirit we're of. And we should desire those kind of relationships. It's okay to want those kind of relationships in our own lives. And those come in different ways. First of all, the first place it comes is in a marriage and in a family. And the dynamics, of course, you mature in relationships because not everybody thinks the same way. How many parents have had a child and as that child grows up and say, I don't know I don't know where they came from. I don't know why they think the way they think because I don't think like that and your spouse doesn't think like that. It's because they're, a, they're their own human, they're their own individual being. And, but what happens in that family dynamic that God created in that family dynamic is it grows you. I've said many times that I think one of the greatest ways to grow as a person is have kids. When you have kids, you have to grow up, you have to mature, not just in caring for them, but because their personality, your personality is being molded to have another relationship in your life that you ha- have to work on to be close to. It's, it's, it happens in a marriage. In fact, there's a book, Gary Chapman, he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages that's been around for a long time. And in this book, it, it basically is referring to husband and wife, but it, it goes across the board. Five, he breaks it down into five love languages that we all speak. And those five love languages could be the language of affection. It could be the language of quality time. It could be the, the language of, of 
physical touch, quality time, um, words of affirmation, acts of service. Now, acts of service, it's interesting. When you know what your love language is, it really helps because you understand what really ministers to you. But it also helps to recognize that not everyone else that's close to you speaks that same love language. For example, my husband's top love language would be acts of service. So if he... I use an example when we when we lived in a house. There was he cleaned out the garage, um, and he just did a great job of cleaning the garage. And he he does a great job cleaning. Period. He's he he's a great cleaner. Is what he is. <laughs> I'm really blessed because I can clean it, and I know he'll come by and clean it again, and it'll be even better. So he's he just is, he's really good. And so he cleaned out our garage, and you know I'm the one that parks at that time with the kids would park the minivan in and out, and I came in and out, and he didn't say anything. And a little bit later in the day, he goes, uh, "Did you notice that I cleaned the garage?" <laughs> I didn't even notice. I didn't know what it looked like before. You know, I just didn't realize it was even needed a cleaning. And um, but to him, he did an act of service. To show me, for him, it was to show me how much he appreciated me. I want to have this place clean so that when you drive in, it's really clean and nice. That was an act, a love language that he spoke to me. Now, the reason that's so important is that's not my love language. So he can do that to me, and it's like, great, I'm so glad you cleaned out the garage. But when he speaks my love language, that's like, oh, okay, he really cares for me. But it's good to recognize those relationships because when I want to minister to him, what, guess what? I use the acts of service. I do something for him. I, I, I minister to him, and that to him in his mind, and it maybe it might be your mind. You're in that acts of service, but it's good to know what your love language is, and then in a family relationship and the dynamics of those relationships, who speaks what language? And boy, it really, I'll tell you what, you guys, it helps. It really helps in a family because your kids speak different languages. And one child is completely different from the other child. You can't just treat them all the same, right? They, they think differently, they act differently, they react differently. And so it takes a while to find out, how, well, how can I minister to them as an individual? So what in that, you are growing and we're maturing as, as parents or as individuals. Likewise, our kids, you teach them to learn and say, you know, not everybody, just because that's what really ministers to you, may not be the way it does for your brother or your sister. And it's learning the dynamics of small groups, which the, the actual best small group, again, is in a family. So we want to know how to do that and do it well. So during the month of October and November, we are launching uh, a small group just for those two months, and you'll hear hear more about it next week, but we are going to do um, a special launch of just a two-month small group scenario. If you're not already plugged into a small group and you'd like to be, uh, please come out this Thursday to Leadership Summit because we are going to uh, have some of some say, hey, I'm willing to, to facilitate a DVD for eight weeks. I'm willing to open up my home and host in my home for eight weeks. Then come out on Thursday because we just really want to encourage opportunity to be in these small group scenarios so that we can grow and we can have um, can get a, learn to get along with others. There's a book. Do you remember the movie Fireproof that was out a couple of years ago? They wrote a book called The Love Dare as well. And I wanted to mention this one because, again, it is referring to couples, but it's the dynamics of relationships are for all of us. And there's one day that it talks about love making good impressions. And in this, it talks about how 
Jesus really encouraged us how to greet each other and how to receive other people and how to, to how to um, that initial greeting, how important it is, and then how to get to know someone. And so do some research, do some reading, and, and uh, don't be lonely in the city, as, as my husband would say. So let's look into... Uh, Let's look into these relationships. Being, by being in relationship, we help build each other to grow in faith. Faith is one of the relationships actually tests our faith. Uh, some people you immediately bond with and other people you'd like to bond with and they don't want to bond with you and other people want to bond with you and you don't want to bond with them. And, and uh, so there's all these dynamics of relationships and, and uh, it's, it's navigating our lives through and say, okay, God, I know that over the course of my lifetime, Dr. Do- Dr. Lester Summerall said, over the course of your lifetime, if you have two to three close friends, you're a rich person. And I, I would tend to agree. We showed some concentric circles last week of those closest friends and then some that would be more of acquaintances. And, and in relationships, we all have that, that really close group of one or two people, or we believe for that. And then there's other people in these various concentric circles. And I know we've shared with our, with our own kids over the years, sometimes a friendship can go from one circle to the other, so to speak. It can go from an acquaintance to a closer friend, or it can go just to, a, a, to not even an acquaintance. It could be somebody that you just go to school with and you just are, are just polite with and you don't really have much to do with them outside of school. Those different relationships are all healthy. We, we all have different portions of relationships. But what we're talking about today are those relationships that really help mature us and grow close with because those are the ones at some point we just feel like walking away from because it's just too much work. But those are the ones that we just, man, we just got to, just like that sequoia tree where we allow our, our root system to just grow deep with them. And here's some points on hopefully will help, help us on how we can do that. Romans 1 verse 2 says, I'm eager to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And in this way, each of us will be a blessing to one another. We are designed to grow. You have something to give me, and I have something to give you. Brother Littlefield, uh, who is a mentor for us and has gone on to be with the Lord, he said, you will always, for the rest of your life, know this. You will be in the middle of two different situations. One, you have a hand up reaching out and receiving from someone else, whether it's knowledge, whether it's whatever it is, you need to keep learning. And on the other side is you have someone where you have the hand down and you're helping somebody else up. You have something to give to somebody else. And so we're in that healthy tension our entire lives where we're giving and we're receiving. And in doing that, especially in a close relationship, in a life group scenario or a small group scenario or a family scenario, um, we, it encourages us in our faith, uh, Romans tells us. Small groups help us to grow because they are a place where we can affirm each other's worth and do that how. Number one, we can do it by accepting others. So you're filling in the blanks. The first blank is accepting others. This could take us out of our comfort zone, but we need to learn how to encourage other, others, and that's where a haughty attitude really doesn't work, and it's really... Um, being vulnerable as well. Um, an example of that is when we were, um, in 1981, we were living in Calgary and uh, went back to, we had left our, our jobs and we were going back to Bible school. Living in Calgary the last week, I don't know why we do this, but it seems to be, it seems to be our lives and I think we actually like it. Um, but this last week, prior to going to Tennessee, 
we worked the full week, Monday to Friday, but we also had volunteered earlier in the year to help with the Billy Graham crusade that was in Calgary that year. And so after the crusade would be over at 9 o'clock at night or whatever, then we would come in and we work uh, it was in, the, in the, some back room with a bunch of people. It was so great. And we would process all the cards and we'd pray over the cards and, and whoever the ministering guests, the musicians who had been at the crusade would come down and they'd encourage us. But we would be there until 2 o'clock in the morning. Every, and they told us that's how we would, that was the commitment. And we committed to do that. So we're working full-time, Monday to Friday. We have to get out of our apartment, out of our, well, it was a townhouse. It was a four-bedroom townhouse that we were in. We had to clean out our, our townhouse. We had to put our furniture in storage, um, finish up on our jobs, and um, do a Billy Graham crusade, help, assist, volunteer. And, uh, and that Saturday morning, uh, we were driving to my in-laws to say goodbye to them on our way to Tennessee. And somehow we did that. And so now we're on the road to Tennessee. We've crossed the border. We're in Montana. And we look at each other and say, well, so which road do we take? I said, well, I don't know. I never looked at a map where Tennessee is. And he said, well, I don't know where Tennessee is. So we had to go find a gas station, get a map, buy a map of a U.S. map, and find out where Tennessee was. And we were both, you're kidding. It's like way down there. We hadn't even looked to see where the map was. I mean, to see where the, the state was. I had no idea. It's like, oh, okay. So I guess we mapped out. We had a cup of coffee, mapped out our route on how to get to Tennessee. So we, uh, when we got down there, they had told us ahead of time that there was... Uh, housing for married couples and so we didn't bring anything with us any furniture with us and when we got there um, they said we were misinformed and there actually isn't any housing for married couples which meant we had to find an apartment which uh, and you know coming to Vancouver you look through apartments you have no idea what's a good area to live in what's not a good area to live in do I go here do I go like and then you need a reference and it's like okay we have to start square one and we need it like tonight we need the apartment so, um, of course, that didn't happen, so we went to hotels. Well, we didn't realize that in this town of 30,000 people, there were two huge conferences on in that town that doubled the size of the town every year, and every hotel was booked. They said, you will not get a room this week. You would have had to book that months in advance. It's like, great. So we found, we did bring our two-man pup tent with us, and uh, I don't ask me why. I still, to this day, have no idea other than... God must have known we were going to need it, because really, in your Bible school, why would you need a two-man pup tent? Um, but we brought it. We had brought it with us. And so we went to the KOA campground, and they said, we have a spot for three nights, and then after that, we're completely booked, too. So our first three days of Bible school, we got ready in a KOA campground in a, from a two-man pup tent, did our homework with a flashlight laying in our two-man pup tent doing our homework. Well, during that time, you can, as you can well imagine, we are praying. Okay, God, we really, where are we going to live? And uh, so uh, my husband said to me, he says, you know that church that we passed, we're just learning to hear God's voice, and really, I think we need to go back to that church and ask whether or not someone there knows of an apartment that we could rent. And so we drove there, and the only person, the church was open, the only person that was there was someone at the soundboard, and he was very busy and um, doesn't know us at all, and said, no, no, you know, there's, I don't know, I don't know anybody, and, and 
basically we walked out of there feeling like we guess we didn't hear God after all while we're learning and got into the car we began to drive away and in the rearview mirror we see this little old lady be, that's just running behind us and in her very thick southern drawl she's like hey you all where are you going and she's just very sweet and she's like well she called us yeah she was she was a sweetheart and she said um I don't have a, um and we, so we told her our story and she says well my husband is out of town and uh he doesn't know the Lord, but why don't, you, why don't you come on over to my house? And she, so she had us come over to her place, and he, so without him knowing, and she says, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. He's going to be just fine with this. And, and <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we, we stayed at her place, and what a blessing, because unknown to her, on our travels down there, we prayed, said, God, it would be so great to have a surrogate family in Tennessee, um, just somebody that we could go to, uh, just be like family. And, you know, it turned out that when her husband did come home, he was a wonderful man, and he did, he liked us, yay, and uh, we didn't stay there very long, but we, they helped us find an apartment in a good location. He says, I am not letting you live there, I'm not letting you live there. Took us to a place, helped us find an apartment. Um, they actually gave us our living room furniture, which was two lawn chairs, which we really appreciated. And, um, and so it was, but, you know, throughout that year, they really were our family. If, and you know what that's like in an evening where you just want it, when you're away from your family and you just want a home to go to and you just want some home cooking and uh, just relax, it became Lynn and D.K. Hudson. What, what happened there? They were that, they, they came in and they accepted us. And we all have that need and that desire to be accepted. And I challenge you here today, and I know we have, we have many people that come into our city and you're on your own and you're away from your family. I challenge you, pray. Ask God for a family. Ask God to bring somebody into your life. You might be the very person that in that relationship of maturity that they're looking for to come into their home that would complement their home. So believe for it. So accept others. Romans 15, verse 7 it says, therefore accept one another. And we live in such a world that puts down people rather than builds people up. So uh, it, it's encouraging to be with other people. In small groups in particular, using a small group setting, we've been in small groups uh, for decades. And every, there's seasons, there's ebbs and flows, and we've moved to different places, our, our, our life has changed. And in every one of those seasons of life group, there has been such a strength that comes uh, in the life group, uh, you're, when you go to someone's home, you're going into their most precious space. You're going into a place that is so, um, it, it's, their, it's their personal space. And what, a, what an honor it is, really, to walk into somebody else's home, if it's one night a week, uh, and to go into their home and actually be able to have that fellowship, being koinia uh, being together with people in, in a place that they're allowing themselves to be vulnerable in and inviting you to come in. It's, it's such a treat. And, and, you know, every home has different rules. Every home has their own, you know, things. Some people you take your shoes off, others you don't take your shoes off. Uh, you know, you, you find out what those things are and you learn and you grow and how you do... Um, how you, how you celebrate special events. You begin to have your own way, just like a family, and it expands us. Very similar to parents. When a, when a young couple are expecting their first baby, often I hear this, I don't know, how, how am I going to love this baby? I, I feel like, will I love this baby enough? And usually the answer is just wait until you have the baby. Because once that baby's in your arms, 
God somehow expands that love circle just to include that baby. And then they expect their second baby. And they say, will I be able to love the second baby as much as I love the first one? And something happens when you hold that second baby. And it's like God just, he just widened that love circle even more. And God has this ability to be able to, uh, just to be able to extend the, our ability to bring more people in and to, and to embrace even more. And that's what happens in a small group setting, in that koinia setting. The second thing it does is, we grow together, and we affirm by giving attention to others. God pays attention to us. Aren't you glad? Every small detail, including the number of hairs that are on our head, how intricate that is, and God says he knows that. I don't know how he keeps up with that because, uh, I'm sorry, guys, but some of you, it just changes a lot um, more than maybe women. And he, But somehow he keeps track of all that, and he knows what's coming and going, and he, he, keeps, he keeps going on that. Attention takes more time than acceptance. And you know that you can, you can accept somebody, but you can still ignore them. Say, I'll accept them. I'm just going to stay out of their way. And Galatians 6, verse 10 says, Give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. And in general, whatever you give attention to, it'll grow. If, you give, if you're a gardener and you give attention to your garden, it'll grow. If you give attention to your family, it'll grow. If you give attention to your boyfriend or girlfriend, that relationship will grow. Whatever we give attention to, if you give attention to a new business, it'll grow. We give attention to others, those relationships will grow. Uh, people want, more than anything else, we want, we really do want attention. One of the quotes from Mary Kay, she said, everyone walks around with a sign saying, make me feel important. And every one of us want to feel like we're important to somebody, and, and we are important to God. And through other people, especially in the family of God, we can allow God's love to flow through us to meet the needs of someone else that may be sitting right beside you. And just like that video that we saw earlier, you may or may not even know that person. You might even show up in the same coffee shop and have no idea that your life somehow touched that other person. But it's attention. There is a, a video, that a DVD, that just recently came out. Uh, it, it never did make the theaters here in Canada. It's called October Baby. And in this video clip, and I'm going to show just a small piece of it, there is a young woman who uh, was just feeling she, the need to, to be accepted and, and wanted the, uh, the attention of her family, and, and in particular um, from God. And uh, she found out that and in her teen years, she found out that her parents weren't her, her birth parents, that she was adopted. But she also found out that uh, the reason why she had such health issues and that she was the result of a, of a botched abort- abortion. And um, this is a little clip of what has happened, what happened in her life. Uh, let's watch the clip. Okay, I think that's the last of it. Call us, all right? Let us know who your roommate is. Try not to pick anybody too weird. I'll be fine, Dad. I'm coming. <laughs> okay. I gotta go.
wanting me. the earlier service we could have handed out Kleenex on that one but we all want to be wanted and most of all God wants us to feel wanted because he does want us and that sense of just feeling valued and wanted comes from him and he's he has people right now in your life and you may not even know it at this point but it's that faith step to make yourself vulnerable, which is a point that we're just going to talk about in a minute, to be in, a rela- in relationship with others. The C, another way that we can affirm each other's worth is by showing affection. There was a study that was done by European psycho- psychiatrists, and they studied the development of baby who spent, babies who spent the first five years of their lives in institutions where they were deprived of emotional warmth from a mother, a father, or primary caregiver. Those poor children. And it was called... Uh, they. they dubbed it the failure to thrive syndrome and how we fail to thrive if we aren't with people that uh, that we can do koinonia with in fact uh, UCLA did a study and they said every satisfied uh, well-adjusted adult needs eight to ten meaningful touches a day and so Romans 12:10 says again love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family Another way that we can affirm each other's worth is by showing appreciation. And Paul definitely modeled this. If you, you understand appreciation, if you will have bought a house in Vancouver, you get the word appreciation. You know what that means. The value just goes up. But if you bought a brand new car and you drove it off the lot, you know the value of depreciation. And it changed as soon as you drove away. And God is into appreciation he appreciates that he speaks well of us look at jeremiah 29 11 he speaks so highly of us that's how he thinks about us we can think he thinks differently but he says no these are the thoughts that i have of you and sometimes we just have to stop and go no this is what god thinks about me and uh, and now i am able to show that to other people and show appreciation one thing that we do in our small group we also do it as our staff is on someone's birthday we have a tradition now that we go around and we all share a word uh, on what would how that how we could would describe that person uh, they're warm they're caring they're genuine they're they're um, uh, they're friend whatever it is and we try to keep it to a word it doesn't usually stay a word it usually lands up being longer than that uh, our staff birthday uh, meetings are um, we say a word but those words are never a word it's like okay you got a bunch of ministers for one thing you got a preachers and yeah and the preachers yeah yeah, a bunch of preachers that just like to share. And so, but you know what the encouraging thing is, is in my own life, I, I write those down on my birthday or when, when I receive those. And on a day or a time where I'll feel like, who do I think? I, I don't think I can do this. this. This job is before me or this is before me. And who do I even, how, do I, how did I even think I could possibly do this? I go back to those words that I wrote down, and, I, and I'm reminded not only of what God thinks I can do, but I'm reminded of what some people have s- seen in me that I don't even see in myself. 
and what encouragement that brings. It helps us to be, uh, to continue to go on. And every one of us need that. And God's making a way for that to happen even here. The second thing is to be honest and open. That's what small groups do. They help us to be honest and open, vulnerable, a place where we can be transparent with others and find out who our true friends are. It's off, we've all heard that. I've, something happens in our life, and you find out what? Who your true friends are. And small group is a great place for true friendship, and I'll tell you why. Because in life groups, I think every life group we've ever been in, this has happened. There would be nothing that would bring us together. There is no common ground other than this. And when you have God's word as your common ground, when you have God's word as the basis of your relationship, you can always go into a place of vulnerability because you can trust God's word to have somebody that will stand with you and say, well, let's just see what God says about it. And they'll stand with you on it. And, and then there's all the quirks of all of our own personal relationships that we all have. Somehow those in the light of eternity and in the light of the reason that we're all together, we can work those things out. And I love that verse that says working out your own salvation. I think that's part of it, is just having to work those things out. So being honest and open and, and confessing to someone in, a, in that type of setting, confession just means admitting that this is what's going on in my life. It doesn't have to be a confessional. It just has to mean I'm going through a hard time or this scenario has come up and I'm not quite sure how to deal with it. And to be at a place where you can be vulnerable enough to share that with somebody else knowing that they're going to stand with you and instead of uh, rejecting you, instead of putting you down, they're going to say, well, we're going to rally around and pray for you. And, and I, I had that in my own life this past week and I was so, so... Um, you know, you, you put yourself in a vulnerable position, but the result was exactly this, and there was just such great support. So God has that. In James 4, chapter, uh, James 4, verse 10, it says, When you bow down before the Lord, that means you humble yourself. You humble yourself before God, and you admit your dependence on him. God will lift you up. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't, he, and that's what spirit we're of. And that's this type of small group we're talking about this morning, to be in that type of relationship with other people that they can build you up rather than tear you down. Deeper fellowship also is there when we admit our mistakes. Uh, if we live in the light as he is in the life, we all fellowship one with the, with the other. Um, you know, when you're in fellowship together, light dispels darkness, and it, it becomes really obvious if there's something going on in somebody's life. And what a great place to say, hey, is everything okay? I think there's something going on here. You know, is there something we can pray for? Is there anything that you want to share with all of us? And if the person says, no, I'm not quite ready to do that, we, let's honor that. That's even in a marriage relationship. One of the best things you can do is a couple. And if you don't get anything out of this, if you're married here this morning and you're, you know that there's something wrong with your spouse and it's not the right time to talk about to say, will you let me know when it is? And the best time to set up that that kind of boundary is when everything is going great. Uh, somebody gave us that advice years and years ago, and I'll tell you what, it has saved us. It has saved us uh, agony of what we what could have been, and it's simply this, that we will allow each other the space that if there's something that needs to be talked about, when we're ready to talk about it, we'll say, I'll let you know when I'm ready, and, and, and the other person respects that. And uh, it's, it, it's huge. It's just absolutely huge to know that when my husband, when, if he says to me, not right now, um, can we talk about this later, then I know we will talk about it later. Or if, he, if I say to him, it just isn't the right time, but I do want to talk about it, you know, it's, it's a mutual respect. That's a great thing to have in a small group as well. So the third thing that we do is we pray for each other. Who do you have in your life right now that you know will pray for you? I mean, really pray for you. 
I'm not just, yeah, yeah, well, I'll pray for you. Yeah, thanks. And hopefully we don't have too many people like that in our lives. But somebody that you know will really intercede for you. We should all have a couple of people in our lives that we know that we could say, I really need prayer. I'm, this, I'm, this is a really difficult scenario. There was someone in the church this past week that just something so, um, it, it's, it's a big one. And just to know, he says, I don't know what I would do without the church family, without some people, without my own life group to be able to stand with me and support me during this time. And that's what we do is, as not only brothers and sisters in the Lord, but in particular in that small group. And we talk in 101 in our, in our equipping basis that you really need two wings to fly. One is this, a, a corporate service where we're all together. But the other one is that small group setting where you get to be intimate with somebody and really become vulnerable and open with someone and you put those two wings together and it's strength it's that sequoia kind of strength that we get so uh, colossians chapter 4 verse 12 paul writes always uh, epiphras always prays for you that you would grow to be spiritually mature so again who's praying for you Pray this even for yourself. Pray for people in your world, in your life, in your sphere of influence, that they too, pray for them, that they would have people in their life as well, that they could grow to be spiritually mature. Remembering that to pray, I want to be spiritually mature, means I'm going to be in relationships, which means that iron sharpens iron, which means that there's going to be some edges that are going to be shaved off of you, and God's going to use me to shave off some edges in someone else. That's, that's the part of relationships that sometimes we book it, and we just say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of that. But that's when we grow and mature. And when people have said things to me that, uh, you know, we've come to a place when somebody has a, a critical comment, I, I said, where's the element of truth in that? Somewhere, the, I, want to, I want to extract the element of truth out of that so I can grow instead of just dismissing it and saying they were way out in left field. I want to, God help me to keep growing in every aspect and help us to be mature believers. Uh, we pray for people's needs, uh, even in the small group. They get whether it's health needs, financial needs, um, praying for their spiritual growth. Huge. We were in a, a small group setting uh, years ago when our son was uh, a baby. He was he had just turned a year, and he had a growth on his leg, and we weren't sure what it was. We took him to a doctor. Well, that one doctor uh, turned out to be three doctors and two specialists, and no one knew what it was. And the final uh, specialist that we met in another city said, I want to do a biopsy on his leg, set the appointment. And in the meantime, the small group that we were a part of, uh, we asked them to, to pray with us and stand with us on this. And at that point, it was just being open and vulnerable. Well, we asked them to pray and stand with us. And, and the, the, we went back to the appointment for the biopsy. And he actually said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do a biopsy on him because it seems to be shrinking. And after, he said, but I want to see him next week. The next week, we brought him back again, drove to the next city over, and we, we, we brought him there. And he said, they're gone. He said, this is a miracle. And so we said, well, will you document that? <laughs> will you write that? And he did. He wrote it down. We put it in his baby book that God is a, not only God who answers prayer, but it gave us the encouragement, to the strength of being in a small group. It just strengthened that even more, much like those sequoia roots became even stronger. So in closing, who do you have to pray with you? And there's a number of scriptures that are there. Hebrews 13, 21 in particular, I pray that you'll always be eager to do what is right. That's a great prayer to parents to pray for your kids. You can just stand on Hebrews 12, verse 21. God, I pray that they would always be eager to do what is right and believe for that. And, and in saying that, I had, this, I had this thought 
church, would you also pray for, especially the ministry families, the young families in our own church, Brad, who leads worship for his young kids, uh, Pastor James for his young kids, that they would always be eager to do what is right and to, as, as their parents are involved so heavily in ministry work, that their kids would love it as well and they would love Jesus. That's a great thing for us to pray for those that have young families in ministry as well. You might be here this morning and you say, you know what, I've never been in a small group like that. I've never done something like that before. In fact, I don't even know if I'm in that kind of fellowship, that kind of koinonia in a relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask everyone just to bow their head and, uh, and ask you if you wouldn't join me in praying a prayer and asking Jesus to come into your heart and say, I want to be in that kind of relationship. That's the first relationship above every other relationship. That's the strength of a relationship to be in. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.